What's up, podcast listener? If you're sitting at your desk or riding in your car, know that today you're joining a family of basketball professionals who are trying to change other people's lives through the game that changed theirs. This podcast is going to take you along the journey of basketball entrepreneurs and how they make a living from the game that they love. If I say anything, anything that gives you value in this episode, please go to iTunes and leave me a top five, top five, top five review. And now let's get to the show. Probably some of the most gifted Twitter fingers you'll ever meet in this basketball training space belong to Damon Altizer, founder of Driven Training. So I love his Twitter feed and his thoughts, his wisdom. They all have power. They all have authority, especially if you're a basketball trainer. There's plenty of value in them. So I went through his last three months of of tweets. I read them to him, and he elaborated on some of them because some of them are controversial. So listen to his heart, his wisdom when it comes to player development. And also, before we get into the episode, really cool, Kate goes left. Kate is Damon's beautiful, cute daughter. And today, October 3rd, 2017, was day one of a 12-appointment constraint-induced therapy series that Kate's going to be doing in the month of October. And the hope is at the end of the month, Kate will have an increased awareness of and ability to use her left arm and hand. So Damon doesn't want her to be alone, and neither do I, neither do we who follow and who support Damon Altizer. So in support of his daughter Kate's venture, uh, his wife and Damon are going to be using their non-dominant hands all month for daily tasks like brushing teeth, eating, drinking. So Damon asked if he wanted to join, and I know I'm joining, so I'm down with Kate Goes Left, and hope you will be down too. Without further ado, enjoy this podcast episode, and always, if you want to hear someone specific, subscribe, leave a review, and send us a message of who you would love to hear. I went through, I scrolled through Coach Altizer's tweets, and I'm a huge fan of his on Twitter, and I wanted to read some of them off so the audience, so you can listen to them if you haven't seen them before, and see how impactful, how authoritative they are, and to be frank, it might step on some of you guys' toes in a good way. So, Coach, are you ready for this? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on again, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, yeah, sir. Now, some of these are not as not as let's say confrontational, but are polar. But some of them are interesting to me. So, the first one is: you don't stop KD. You don't slow down KD. He just sometimes misses shots. Best score the league's ever seen. Yeah, so obviously, I think that one was back during the, uh, you know, back during the finals, um, and probably one of the games when he was just he was unbelievable. Um, and I, I think I think it's kind of a misnomer that, you know, you can stop players like defense absolutely beats good defense in basketball. And with somebody like KD, when he gets to his spots, he just he just happens to miss shots. Uh, and obviously, you can make it more difficult. Um, you can. Yeah, you can do everything you can, scouting report-wise, try to get him to spots where maybe he's not quite as effective. Um, but even in the, when he gets to you know spots where he might not shoot as high a percentage, he's still elevating above. You know, he's he misses shots. Um, and I, and again, that's that's a tweet that is kind of all-encompassing. Where of course you're going to try to do things to slow him down. Um, but you know, with somebody like that. You know they they're missing shots more so than somebody's stopping them with the great scores. Him, Kobe, Jordan, rare. I 
I'd say there's never a time when he gets he gets put into a position where he doesn't think he may, he's going to make a shot. Um, and for me, he's absolutely in that level of you know one of the top five scorers of all time with his his length, his ability to make tough shots, uh, to get to the rim and finish. Um, and he's just he's incredible. There's, that's all there is to it. Got it. Skill and athleticism will both fade. Maximize them, but be defined by things that last. Yeah, so very simply with that, um, your experiences are, those are the things that really define you and that you'll have forever. Your skill level, uh, I mean, skill is going to out, outlast athleticism, obviously, but even your skill is going to someday fade because that is dependent somewhat on your athleticism. Look at Kobe when he got to the end of his career. Obviously, he was he was still extremely skilled, but he couldn't get to spots quite as well as he could before. Um, he wasn't able to do it. He wasn't able to sustain it throughout an entire game like when he was younger. Um, and those things fade. But as a basketball player, obviously, your locker room time, wins, championships, things like that, those experiences last forever. Those are the things that you truly own. Um, and, and my belief is that you own things that endure. And skill and athleticism aren't things that should define you because – they can't endure. And as, as cliche as it is, father time catches up with everybody and those things will fade. But while you may have an experience that was 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, that experience will always be there. And if you're defined by those things, I think it leads for, you know, it kind of leads to you having lifelong happiness as opposed to temporary if it's based on things that are one day going to be gone. So, I like this one. You'll never really lose when you're fighting the good fight. I think, you know, obviously, Mice and you and I are both in the same industry. Um, and with today, with everything that's come out with the, the FBI investigations and all those different things, it's very easy to get caught up in who knows what you're doing, who sees you doing things. Um, but I think we're very much on the same page as far as serving players. If you're if you're serving players, um, or if you're, you know, serving coaches, depending on what your role may be, if you are truly invested in helping them get to the next level, whatever that next level may be, whether it's high school to college, um, or if that next level means you're with a young player who can't make a left-handed layup and their next level is making the left-handed layup, if you're truly fighting that good fight and investing in them, even if they don't achieve that next level, you and the player are both going to win because you've invested all of your everything in achieving that goal. Got it. Talking cool won't get you nearly as far as talking smartly. Neither of those will get you as far as actually being intelligent. I think with that one, um, man, you, you did look back with some of these. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, I I think it's very easy. um, And again, this is speaking to our industry to either one, try to appear intelligent. can you still hear me? I can definitely. And um, my big question, once you finish, was what's the difference with smartly, intelligently? Your gotcha. difference? Yeah. So I think it's one thing to try to talk cool and and fit in with with fit in with kids, and you know, especially if we're working with those grassroots level players, to to speak in a way that we know we will fit in with them. But we have to maintain a professionalism in that. It doesn't mean that we're not friends with those guys, but there's no need for us to you know, to speak down or forget that we can impact these players beyond just on the basketball court, be that in their communities or in their classrooms. And part of impacting is, is going beyond basketball and kind of instilling in them that, that intelligence, that maturity. Um, and oftentimes, 
I think even as adults, we can get so caught up in trying to fit in with these grassroots players and be buddies with them that we forget that aspect. Um, and then kind of going deeper into the tweet at the same time, be who you are. And that's what they're saying, you know, be intelligent. Don't just, don't just try to seem intelligent or speak smart, speak smartly, you know, be who you are and let that intelligence shine through. Um, we all have our different versions of, you know, we have our own gifts. We have our different versions of intelligence, but if we're true to ourselves then we can impart that intelligence into young players and kind of going back to your previous question, then whatever the goal is, we're going to help them get closer to that all the while impacting them on the court and just as importantly off of it. So what is your definition of grassroots? I have a certain picture that comes to mind when I hear that word, but what's your definition? Oh, and I think of grassroots, I think pretty much players who are 12 to 18. Um, I think with AAU basketball, a lot of times they say grassroots circuit. So for some, I know their definition is you're 14 to 17 you, you know, shoe circuit grassroots teams. Um, when I speak, at least when it comes to player development, about grassroots players and their development, I'm kind of thinking middle school on through. Uh, some some may have a definition where it includes players even younger than that, but you know, but at least for me, in my personal view, it's kind of any player in that middle school all the way on through who are, you know, work who you're working with and trying to you know try to help them achieve whatever their goals may be. All right, so I'm going to skip one and ask this one. Criteria for calling oneself an elite skills trainer. Half Twitter, IG, and Snap, the end. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we kind of hit on this one last time. Um, it's a blessing and a curse that you, anybody can jump on and, and say that they're an elite skills trainer. Um, I don't know what the definition is, but I know it's, it's very easy to become one whenever you want. Um, and in my opinion – you know, that's not necessarily a great thing. And there are some guys who they decide they want to get into skill training and their first step is, hey, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to network. I'm going to try to learn as much as I possibly can. Um, and then some guys, they want to, you know, immediately go make videos and hashtags and try to generate a following. Uh, and obviously when you're trying to feed your family, it's kind of got to be a balance of both. Um, but give, there is no checks and balances system. It's not like strength and conditioning where you have to go through certifications. Uh, you can... Anybody can start a social media account and be an elite skills trainer. And for me personally, I'm not sure that's a good thing since there is no certification or checks and balances to, to get to that. Got it. Okay. So this is a retweet. When you have a scouting service and you just go see the top 100 kids in the country, you are not helping anyone. Yeah, I think uh, with, with that tweet in particular, very similar to skill training because of social media and obviously social media is is a tremendous resource it's it's very easy to get caught up with as a scouting service and through driven we do some exposure events where the focus is on those top 100 players um but i know some of the you know the top 100 guys that i have whether they go to an exposure event or not it's not going to impact their recruiting and i think you know they're there are some recruiting services that I have relationships with here in Virginia that do a phenomenal job of kind of trying to seek out and help those guys who other people haven't heard about. Uh, and again, kind of in that servant leadership, I have a tremendous respect for those guys who don't want to, don't have to be around the top 100 guys to feel like they're really helping players. And I think that it's easy to be around those top 100 guys and, you know, take pictures and tweet it. But it's not like that's, you know, if you're a top 100 kid or a top 10 kid, 
John Calipari isn't looking at these scouting reports that are put out on Twitter by small scouting services. At the same time, those small scouting services can go to a maybe a lesser known area and find an under recruited kid and can really help that kid. Uh, and it, but it all goes back to kind of the servant leadership that we've hit on so much and serving the players as opposed to serving ourselves. Don't let a 140 character tweet cost you a $140,000 scholarship. I think the first time I ever saw that, I think it was five star, five star may have tweeted it several years ago. Um, and as the tweet says, your, your, your social media is part of your brand. And with personal branding being such a big thing with high school players going to the college level, uh, your social media is out there and you, you kind of see it all the time. Or there was a Duke football coach uh, that has a tweet that's gone viral a couple of times where they kind of cross somebody off their recruiting board because, you know, the, the player was tweeting inappropriate things. Um, you can very quickly cost yourself your future if you're worried about or not if you're worried about if you're t- tweeting inappropriate things. And those 140 characters, though they may not seem like a lot, can be very powerful. If we ask players to accept the grind and do the dirty work, we must do the same as coaches. Sweep floors, fill bottles, no job is too small. And so, Absolutely. I think ap- no job is too small, as, as simple as that sounds. I was speaking with a coach from Toronto uh, a couple years ago, and he had went to a coaching clinic the week bef- a couple weeks before in Chicago when Tim Grover had the Attack Athletics facility. Um, and he had said that, he went to the coaching clinic and then that night he went back to the facility just hoping that he was like he was going to catch Grover in, you know, one on one where he could speak to him and ask him some more questions. And Grover was there with a broom sweeping the floor and he spent some time talking with him. Um, and Grover said, you know, this is this is my facility. I no job is too small. I sweep the floors. You know, I have to clean toilets, I have to do everything. Uh, and that's the Tim Grover, who everybody knows, Jordan, D. Wade, Kobe. and if he's the epitome of a trainer who's worked with the absolute highest level players, I think it's important for us as you know players and coaches to realize that if we're if we're trying to serve these kids, if we're trying to serve our team, whatever the goal is, that means that hey, maybe we have to give a motivational speech in the locker room, or I've got to really pre- prepare for a, a session with a high level player who's going to be in you know for a week this summer preparing to go to college. At the same time, it may mean sweeping the floor before the workout to make sure that there's there's not dust and it's ready to go. And we we have to be prepared to do any job regardless of how how glamorous or you know how seemingly insignificant it may be. I hope that uh shot down some misconceptions about Mr. Grover too, because you can read his book and listen to his his attitude, his mindset, but and get the wrong idea about him. So I didn't know that myself. That's really interesting. Yeah, when I heard it I was just like, that's that's awesome. Um, and it makes total sense because he he just cared so much about his athletes that everything was going to be perfect and taken care of, uh, even though there may be some misconceptions after you read Relentless and see some of the tweets and things like that. Right. Cooler. Got to be a cleaner. Gotta right. Be. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so about Gordon Hayward, 2008, three stars, no ranking. 2017, nine years later, four years, $128 million. You define you. Yeah, I've tried to I've tried to be big on that pretty much the last three years. Uh, the first year that the Warriors won it and Curry was MVP, um, I went back and found you know his rivals page or whatever that was 
tremendously unimpressive compared to a lot of high major, you know, high major, highly touted players. And kind of, I've had several tweets throughout, kind of tweeting things like that that say you define you. One was with CJ McCollum when I think he played varsity as a freshman, um, all at like five two, and it looked the picture makes it look like he weighed like 120 pounds. Um, I think it's very easy. It's very easy for players, even once they've gotten to high school, to think, well, man, this is this is my goal. This is my dream. I want to play college basketball. But all these other guys are getting – they're already getting recruited. They're already getting offers. Or even guys who are later in their high school career or in college who think, you know, maybe playing professionally isn't, isn't going to pan out. Um, granted, those situations are the anomalies. They are the smallest – the small percentage. But I think it's good for players – for players to keep in mind and coaches to keep in perspective and working with those players that, Hey, these players truly do define themselves and we can't, we can't decide when they're an eighth grader or a ninth grader, what their future is going to look like. It's our goal to, you know, to support what their goals are. Um, And obviously we, you have to be a little bit realistic. If you've got a, a five, seven, third or five, seven, eighth, eighth grader who wants to be a seven foot center. Like there has to be some type of realistic, you know, realistic culture there. But at the same time, you look at these guys and Hey, you never know what can happen. If you truly commit yourself to the process, then let that take you as far as it can. And then as opposed to define, as opposed to defining who they are when they're young, let's let the end of that process determine. And, you know, who knows, look at Steph or CJ McCollum or Kawhi or all these guys who were under recruited or maybe small when they were younger. Look at some of these stories and you never know where you might end up. So probably a good segue, rather than claiming and taking credit for their success, let the NBA draft be about these kids whose lives changed forever last night. I think for me, um, this is one of just kind of a, a pet peeve of mine. It's, it's funny with when guys, when they sign their, you know, their letter of intent or they get drafted. It's funny how many guys come out of the woodwork and have have ties to players. Um, shout out to such and such alum who attended our event and was there for an hour. And then, you know, kids who go to an event and basically get their picture taken and that's it. But then they're an alum and organizations want to claim them as if they tremendously impacted those individuals. Uh, and I think regardless of your impact, just make it about the kids. Let's let them have their night, have their moment. They don't have to you don't have to claim them as yours. You don't have to say alum, just congratulate the kid and genuinely be genuinely be excited for what they've accomplished. And if you, if you did impact them to the extent that you were really a part of their journey, then, you know, they're going to thank you and they're going to message you. And, you know, that should be all you need. It doesn't matter. Like I said earlier, it doesn't matter who knows about it. It doesn't matter who sees it. If you impacted them, that should be, that should be all that matters. I think a lot of the guys, um, a lot of guys who do player development and have a lot of NBA guys, you see a lot of them. They don't, a lot of them do a great job in my opinion in that they don't continually credit themselves. They just, they let the players work speak for, you know, speak for itself. They, they support them. They're there for them. They, you know, they provide the service that we're here to provide, but it can't become about us when our job is to serve others. That's interesting because you don't know about many of these NBA skills training. A lot of them you don't know about. <laughs> because right. they're so they're so low key, and you may see an article here or there, but I mean, what? Why is that? I, I think, in my opinion, some guys, literally, I mean, really just spend time in the gym with players, and other guys spend time and then also develop or build build a brand or you know build their business. Um, in my opinion, both 
both are great. And if you're true, you know, if you're serving the players and that's, that's what it's all about. Uh, but like you said, there's some guys who you don't, you don't really hear about a ton or you don't know about. And then maybe an article shows up or a video video goes viral and all of a sudden they're everywhere. Um, that doesn't mean that once they've gone viral, they're suddenly a better trainer than they were three years ago when they were doing the exact same thing. Um, it just means now more people know about it. Uh, and in my opinion, if, if you are doing great work and you're doing it for the right reasons, then, you know, every, everybody will have their moment where people see how, how good of a job you're doing. Um, like you said, there are a lot of guys who have a ton of NBA guys or whatever, and people just don't know about it. And, and in my opinion, and in my experience, most of those guys are completely fine with that. It's not the quantity of the following, but the quality of the impact that determines the effectiveness of one's leadership. For me, the message that you're providing uh, and, and truly investing in those players, I know I kind of use that phrase a lot, that, you know, that determines your impact. It's, it's very easy, especially with social media now, to, to have a huge following, but your, your impact only goes as far as what your message, you know, what your message is and how genuine you are with that. And that's not speaking to anybody individually. Uh, I think it's very important, especially for, you know, say you're a coach that doesn't have very many followers or, you know, you're a trainer who doesn't have very many followers. Hey, the kids that you're impacting, you know, you're impacting them just as much as somebody who has, you know, somebody who has a million followers. It's about who you're with, the message you're giving them, you know, how and how you're impacting it or, you know, how you're impacting them. And I'm a firm believer that, regardless of who you are, you know, how big your following is, you can never impact an individual with just a following with social media, the way that you can in person and in the gym. Um, and there may be a trainer who only, who doesn't even have social media and one of their clients follows somebody that has millions of followers. Well, that social media following or, you know, the one that has the following, they're not going to impact that kid nearly as much as the trainer is, who's in there with them every day, sweating, investing all of themselves. Um, and again, it's the quality of that impact. The quality of that impact is determined by that message and that investment in the player, not by the quantity of the following. Get to the gym early to stretch, not to selfie. Um, actually tweeted that and took a picture of it and sent it to one of my players um, who spends an insufferable, insufferable amount of time taking selfies before they work out. Um, it is what it is. Personal brand is everything is big. Now that's the culture we live in where you take selfies, you tweet about workouts. Um, players do it. We all do it. Um, at the same time, you can't let that be your focus. Players have to understand if, you know, this particular player is very, you know, very high level players have to understand, Hey, when you get to the gym, you're there to work and it shouldn't be, Oh, well, here's a selfie before my workout. And then I'm taking a water break and I'm going to take a picture of myself sweating. If you're thinking so much about your brand and your social media that mid-workout you're stopping to, you know, to take picture or take selfies or, or whatnot, you're probably not as dedicated as you should be to get into the next level. Um, so am I saying, in, in my opinion, is, is it bad that players are doing that? No, it's the, it's the culture that we're in now. Um, but at the same time, if you're going to work out, your workout should be the primary focus, not, you know, not your selfie stick. And, you know, I, I've changed my mindset about this, too, after hearing you and, and Jordan Lolly talk about it, just the phones out during the workout sessions and, and recording. And 
I've converted. I used to be the one, no, I need to have my phone out recording the kids doing the workout. That's how I built my business. But then I thought about it, you know, you don't have your phone out on the job at in corporate. So right. why why on the court when you're really fully invested in the kid? Right. And with me, I mean I'm fortunate because my brother does video stuff. Um so it's it's very easy to get him over at to video, you know, workouts and things like that. But at the same time, I'm a professional. He's a professional. He's paid when he comes. And my mentality is kind of, hey, if we, if as skill trainers, we see ourselves as professionals, then let's have professionals do the other aspects to help us grow our business. Um, and, you know, that may mean, you know, some guys, their business may not be to the point where they can afford to pay guys. And that's fine. But, hey, reach out to the local college and see if they have somebody who would want to intern who's in their film department or, if there's somebody who you know who videos who has a kid, like, hey, I'll give your you know work out with your kid a few times. Um, and it's all a hustle, but at the same time, like I think it's important to to be a professional. Like you said, you wouldn't show up to a job site and be on your phone. So let's let's treat workouts the same way. Right, that's a good point. And I've I've recently given kids free training who can just hold a phone for me and right. just record stuff on snapchat so i mean you were definitely somebody who influenced my mindset on that so thanks for that next tweet compensation shouldn't determine the level of dedication either pursue excellence or accept mediocrity yeah that i think if i don't know michael lancaster talks a lot about like if you accept mediocrity in in any aspect of your life it's gonna infiltrate into all aspects it's it's very easy um, and I've heard trainers say like, oh, this isn't, this isn't a high paying session or I won't make much on this camp or, you know, things along those lines. And in my opinion, it shouldn't matter because 95% of the time it's not the kids who are paying, it's the parents and you can't fault the, you know, you can't fault the children because of the sins of their, of their parents. Not, not that not paying is a sin by any means, but just saying, if you got 10 kids in the gym, whether you're making a ton of money or very little money, those, those kids still, and they deserve a total investment and they deserve, you know, the best product that you can provide for them. Um, and in my opinion, it shouldn't be a thing where, oh, hey, this is a high paying event. So I'm going to come in and give all of my everything. And this is a low paying event. So I'm going to just come in and kind of, you know, go half speed through things. If you're doing your job, you should want to do a good job regardless of regardless of what the compensation is. And if compensation leads you to feel like you shouldn't you don't need to give it your all, then then don't do that event or don't do that training session, but never sacrifice kids or even high. I mean, if it's high level players, never sacrifice players at any age because you feel like compensation isn't what it should be. If you're on the court with them, then you made a decision that it did make enough sense for you to be on the court. And so if you're on there, then give them all you've got. I'm going to read these two together. If you're a skill development guy, what's your number one focus, your brand or your players games? And a common training marketing pitch is getting kids to the next level. A better one may be to first have them excel at their current one. And you kind of already covered on one, but, you know, whatever you want to elaborate on is fine. Right. I think we, we kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, obviously, as trainers, if we're doing this full time, developing a business and developing a brand is is crucial because if you don't, if you don't develop a business and you don't have some type of a strategy as to why you're doing what you're doing, when you're doing it, then it's going to be very easy to fizzle out. Uh, and it's not going to be sustainable and you're not going to be able to support yourself. And, you know, if you have a family yourself and your family, um, but at the same time, it kind of going back to the video thing, it can become so easy to only focus on the brand 
that you can forget about players. And I think it's very easy. I know I made this mistake, you know, and I, I still probably make this mistake, not that I have it all figured out. When I was younger, if I was going to have workouts film and I would, you know, spend spend the day or several hours beforehand making sure that everything was lined up video wise, that the cameras were where they needed to be and that the cameraman knew what I wanted filming. And I didn't dedicate nearly as much time that day as I should have to the actual players. And so I think it's finding that balance where the players have to have, you have to be dedicated to those players. You have to make sure that you, you have a game plan for them. You're attacking whatever your focus is for that day. You're progressing workout to workout week to week while at the same time, still, still building that brand, but you can't focus on your business and your brand while you're working with your players. Um, and in, in a lot of that is there are obviously different philosophies and carving out time, how guys like to do, you know, how they like to break up their day to work on different things. But again, the big thing for me is that it goes back to, Hey, when you're in the gym, your focus needs to be on those players who you're with serving them and helping them get to whatever their goal may be. Um, and kind of, like you said, we kind of touched on it a little bit ago, next level may mean this kid needs to learn how to make a left-handed layup, or it may be this is a mid-major kid and we've got a summer or a year to turn them into a high major kid. Um, but they have to be great at what they, you know, they currently are before you can even consider what the next level may be. Uh, you know, Mike Shashetsky's big on milestones as opposed to, as opposed to goals. And they go into the year, the day one goal can't win, be to win a national championship because they first need to win the Maui Invitational or the ACC or whatever. And that's kind of the big thing with, with the players and being great at where they currently are. If this player doesn't have a scholarship and we want them in three, you know, two years from now to have scholarship offers, well, they're not going to get a scholarship offer tomorrow. So let's find what they're good at, make them great at that, and then concern ourselves with that end goal where, again, kind of like the tweet said, um, kind of like the tweet said, let's let's excel at our current before we even focus on getting to the next. One move on air before going unimpeded 20 and 20 inches in dunking is as unrealistic as repping one move 10 times on a cone before attacking. Am I wrong? So obviously there's still, there are huge debates daily um, amongst, you know, the biggest name guys in the industry as far as innovation and what works and what doesn't. Um, and some guys say you should never use a cone or two basketballs. Some guys say that, you know, those are essential. There's, there's so many different philosophies. Um, my thing is, Hey, when we're training and we are working on the technical aspects of players game, if we're trying to add them, you know, add a step back or, you know, like the in and out cross that you did on, that you had on Instagram a couple months ago, let's say we're trying to add that to a player's game. If they rep that out on a cone 10 times, or if they do it with no cone, no chair, just on air once, and they come back and do that 10 times through, Neither of those is more game realistic than the other, but if a player commits to either of those methods, they're going to get better and they're going to, you know, they're going to be working to perfect that move. My big thing is let's step back and kind of realize that if we are always doing things that are game realistic, we're probably not necessarily adding things to a player's game because we have, they have to be able to do it slow before they can do it fast. They have to be able to do it at full game speed before they can do it in, you know, small sided games where they have to make decisions. And if they can't do it there, then they can't do it in a game. Um, so I think regardless of whether you're in favor of, you know, innovation and, you you know, using training tools or not, 
the, the kind of the I think it's a misnomer to think that everything has to be game like because if everything is completely and totally game like, then how do you add those new technical aspects to a player's game? And and in my opinion, you can't. There's a lot of research, especially especially from like FIBA and you're in Europe um, about skill acquisition and ages that skills can be acquired and things along those lines. Um, and, you know, a big focus focal point is always you have to develop these skills before you can implement them. And sometimes that may mean we take the basket out of the equation and we're at half court just repping out certain footwork. Is that game like? No, because you're not going to be standing at half court just repping your footwork out. But at the same time, that can really help develop that for a game. Um, I forget. Uh, I think it's the talent code. Uh, the book It talks about Peyton Manning. And how at the end of his career, he would still take snaps um, kind of imaginarily and then do three, five, and seven-step drops just working on the footwork. Obviously, Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the greatest of all time, that's not game-like at all. He's never going to just drop back without a football. But he's repping out those movements, those biomechanical movements that are essential to him being successful in his sport. And so then – just because it's not game like doesn't mean that it's not important. Um, so I know I've kind of gotten long winded, but going back to the, you know, going back to your question, Hey, if you're in favor of innovation, that's great. If you're in favor of one basketball and no cones, chairs, no nothing, that's great. But let's realize that both have their place. Both can help players and that one size doesn't really fit all. I like it. I like it. So a lot of training secrets and beliefs are built on sales, not stats. With that, I think it's, I'm trying to think, think of a good phrase, but secrets sell, hacks sell, um, new tips sell because players see, you know, such and such hack to add X amount of points to your game. Um, but that's, Again, a lot of those, a lot of those secrets are rooted in, in what the what is going to sell. Kind of like you know, like I just said, and not so much statistically. Hey, we tested X amount of players using this program, and they gained this, or we use this shooting method, or you know, this shooting method with X amount of players, and their field goal percentages improved by X amount of percentage points. Um, a lot of secrets aren't rooted in that; they're rooted in hey, I know this will sell to players. Um, and, you know, I think Mike Lee may have chimed in, and it's very easy to do that because, again, it does sell. But at the same time, it's that's not really what's helping players. And let's, let's be good enough and have a product that's so strong that they want to pay for it without having to sell them just, you know, fallacies. Right. So how, how have you or do you – I'm not sure with your engineering background if you're really numbers driven, analytical, but how do you include stats and your results? With yeah, it, oh, sorry. Yeah, it. I'm I'm a numbers guy. Uh, I like like analytical the analytical aspect of the game, but not to the point that they're absolutes. Um, as far as the training, you know, the training side of things, it's so much different than strength and conditioning, where numbers are completely absolute. If your squat numbers increase and your body fat percentages decrease and you go on and on, then the program that you're on is, you know, then it's working. There's not really the, the mental toughness aspect, the decision-making aspect. So I think with, with skill development, it can be 
numbers can be very a little bit misleading because you can have a player who you work on their shot all summer and say you just charted their shots. Hey, they become a better and a better shooter through all your summer months and they get to the season and they're shooting the same as they were the year before uh, because there is that decision, decision making aspect and you have to make shots with, you know, maybe fans behind you screaming in your ear. Um, and so I'm big on statistics. Uh, you know, I, I like them. I think they can tell the whole story, but I think it's very, it's also very easy for statistics to be kind of manipulated to benefit whatever your end goal may be. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen a trainer say, Hey, I worked with a player and look, their numbers went down. Um, you know, it's always this player's, these numbers went up, um, you know, their field goal percentages went up or whatever. It's, you're going to kind of promote what, what's the most positive. I think as, as trainers, you know, speaking on a very simplistic level, it can help just with confidence and in knowing that players are, you know, technically more capable shooters. If you do track some things throughout, say your summer or your preseason workouts, um, it may help you find out, Hey, they don't shoot. They're not shooting very well from the corners, but again, it can't be, it can't be an absolute because once it becomes game time, there's just a whole, you know, there's a whole new level there where when the decision-making, the fans, the mental aspect, the point in the game, is it a close game or you up big? When all those things come into play, it, it just can't be used as an absolute. Yeah. So last one, last tweet, having high-level players doesn't make you an elite trainer any more than having a garage full of Ferraris makes you a mechanic. I think with, with skill training and – I mean, it is what it is with skill development, with AAU. It's assumed that if you have high-level players, be those high major or NBA, that you're you're very good at what you do. Um, and that's I, – I don't believe that to be the case. There, there are guys who only run rec – or, you know, youth leagues, ages, whatever, 9 to 14, and that's their focus, who are, who are great coaches and really help those players – really help those players get better, you know, on the court, skill-wise, off the court, as leaders, what have you. But, but the assumption is high-level players makes you a high-level trainer. And there's just – there's nothing that really supports that. There's nothing that supports that other than the fact that with social media, it's easier to promote high-level players than it is middle schoolers who, you know, their end goal may be to make the varsity team one day. I think it's important for all of us to remember that we can – we can learn something from everyone. We can watch a middle school practice and learn. We may learn more from that than we do from from a high level NBA skills trainer who's working with a potential NBA All Star. But if you're getting players better, you know you're building that relationship. They're getting better on the court. Their skills are developing. Their you know numbers are increasing. They're they have increased or more significant roles with their team. Regardless of what age those players are, regardless of how, how highly touted they may be guys who are doing that with their kids are, are great coaches and great trainers, regardless of who knows about it or who sees it or how high level their kids may be. I like it. So is there anything else? That was the last tweet. Is there anything else that you think needs to be said to anyone listening? No, I think I, with me, like what, as kind of a lot of these, as a lot of, like a lot of these tweets kind of said, um, just trying to always keep in mind what what we're what we're in it for and why you know why we do this as as servant leaders um, you know in player development we all 
we all work with players of different ages, of different age ranges. Everybody's businesses are in different places. You have guys who are just getting started. You have guys who've been doing it for years. You have some who work with just young players, some who only work with pros. We kind of always keeping in mind that we are here to serve players and they always deserve our total investment, regardless of who sees it, regardless of who knows about it. If we do that, you fight the good fight, then I mean, kind of like the one tweet said, regardless of what the end result on the basketball court may be, those are all going to be success stories. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of what it's all about is, you know, us being a stepping stone for others to get closer to where they want to be. Coach, I really appreciate your time, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast again. Absolutely, man. It was fun. I uh, I'd forgotten about some of those uh, some of those tweets. So <laughs> you put on a spot. I mean, it was like five minutes before, and I told you what I wanted to talk about, and you crushed it. <laughs> oh, good. Hopefully, you know, it was fun. Hopefully, there was some value in there somewhere. Um, and again, I really I appreciate you. You know, you having me on and, and doing the podcast. I was listening to some of them the other day when you posted Hernando's. Um, you know, you're doing a a great thing for the basketball community and helping out a lot of coaches, trainers, and players across the board. Man, was that dope or what? Make sure you go follow Coach Altizer on Twitter, at Damon Altizer. He keeps spreading gems like this every single day. Now, this is a free podcast, and you get what you pay for. And we're all one family, one goal, right? We have one goal, that is to help develop kids on and off the court and to grow our businesses too, right? So with that being said, make sure you don't hog this stuff. Share, 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 subscribe, 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 review, review, review. That's the oxygen of this podcast. That's what keeps things going. So thank you for listening, for tuning in, and until next time. Yeah. I'm a genius, big and that genius. Winning with my team and we just big and that dreaming. How we gon' get this cream?